And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with them, with these men. For before these days, Thetas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this, for if this plan or, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you would not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposed, opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus of Christ, wait, name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. This is the readings of God's word. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. Uh, maybe seated, and then we're going to bow our heads and pray for a little bit for God to uh, anoint this time and for Christ to be exalted. Everybody, you bow your heads, guys. Lord Jesus, we thank you for first and foremost yourself. Uh, truly, that you are holy, and thank you that. Um, Holy, you are holy, and uh, we pray uh, that we would exalt you during this time, that you would be pleased in our hearts, that you would be lifted up, Jesus, that you would be our hope, you would be our savior, you would be our focus. And Lord, we thank you that in your grace, you've given us the holy scriptures to understand your ways, to see pure, unadulterated wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One. And now we ask that by your spirit, you would empower us to see those truths and to not just know them intellectually, but Lord, for you to allow them to just build deep into our heart that we would worship you. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now who doesn't understand the good news of Christ, we ask that it would become clear today um, and that they would become Christians. And uh, for those who know, for all of us who <clears throat> you've awakened our hearts and our minds, that we would be believing and be believing the gospel. We love you, Jesus, and we ask that by your grace, you would speak through me. You would uh, just allow us to have great conversation, allow us to enjoy you together uh, with the goal of lifting you up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, if you have, need a Bible, you can raise your hand, family. Uh, Leon has that, Pastor Leon, and we got my man Johnny here. Um, and one thing, if you can give me, Lee, I, my phone is in my bag, or you can give me a phone, or we'll be up here all day because I have no time, no way to tell time. Right now, and that's very dangerous for a brother like me. So, uh, thank you, bro. Um, cool. We are studying right in the book of Acts. Uh, we're just enjoying ourselves as we are learning and seeing 
Uh, I love studying books of the scriptures. We, I, I already share why, you know, we're going through every book because left into our flesh, we'll stay in those comfortable areas that God has given us a whole counsel of God's word. So, of course, we're going to try to study every book of the Bible to try to be faithful to Christ. Um, but I also just love the fact of, do you see how you just, I feel like when you're staring at the pictures long enough, you begin to see little themes pop out that you can read a book over and over again. You just don't see it. And I just feel like... Uh, Studying Acts, you, know, you just see um, more than ever for me already, just such an evangelistic push, uh, just this, this sense of unbridled evangelism. And so I'm really excited. If you are new, that's what we're doing. We're going through the book of Acts. We'll be in the book of Acts for a while. So I um, would love for you to come join us uh, with, in that journey um, as we're in the book of Acts. Um, I just want to encourage you right now in chapter 5, about to head to chapter 6. Let me give you a little snapshot of what we've been up to. Uh, First and foremost, uh, back hours get this, but for new people, just letting you know you're on a moving train. We've already discovered that the Acts was actually part of the book of Luke. It was one book, uh, then separated into two books, trying to really allow Theophilus, who was a very prominent leader, to become a Christian. uh, was kind of the motivation behind Luke writing. Uh, the book, uh, talking about Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus being king, Jesus then revealing himself to the disciples after that proclamation. Uh, he reveals himself, gets the disciples excited, gets the apostles excited. He uh, begins to tell them, hey, here I am. Here's your mission. Now he says, here's your mission. He gives them power to accomplish the mission, fills them with the Holy Spirit, um, these guys get empowered. They begin to preach to onlookers. People come to Christ in the beginning of Acts. People become Christians. All of a sudden, you get all these thousands of Christians who are like, now what? And they be just, by God's grace, they begin to form a Christian community, right? Begin to do community life. Uh, the Lord begins to validate that community by allowing that community to do and say things that only Jesus was doing and saying that who was that Yahweh was only doing and saying. And so basically affirming that God was behind these people. Uh, and then uh, they begin to get questioned. The powers that be were very upset, uh, were frustrated for many different motivations. Uh, but one in particular, because all of a sudden the power they had, the people being able to see them as the religious rights were now like, no, it seems like the power is here with this vagabond of people who now are growing like crazy. And so um, the, the work of Peter and John began to get questioned uh, by these guys. You're healing people, laying people walking now. Uh, in a nutshell, they get questioned, but actually they get out of the questioning. And basically you begin to see the church thriving, people coming to Christ, people selling their stuff, people serving each other, caring for each other. The, the people of God were of one mind being about the things of Jesus, uh, but also they had to uh, deal with sin. You got Ananias and Sapphira. These guys dropped dead. That ministers greatly to the church because people realize God don't play that. And so then uh, more people actually become Christians. Uh, the apostles are questioned again and then they're freed. And so we're getting this basic, this is kind of where we're at right now uh, with in a journey of, uh, a fee, um, sorry, Acts chapter five. So here we go. These guys were questioned. They're free. Now, um, the angel frees these guys. They're, they're in a temple uh, course preaching again. Uh, and I'm actually Solomon's portico preaching again. And the guys come over, uh, the religious uh, wannabes, as it were, come over and say, hey, why don't you come back to uh, jail real quick? They walk back, and here we are in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 42. Uh, with that said, that intro, let me ask you guys a question. Um, have you ever felt like you were fighting against God? Have you ever intentionally felt like, man, either, I mean, there's going to be two ways, right? Unintentionally, you're doing something and you're just thinking like, man, is God in this? 
Have you ever done something and as you're doing it, you're thinking, man, I don't know if the Lord's in this. Or have you done something intentionally knowing that the Lord's not in this? Have you ever seen yourself fighting against God? Raise your hands. Oh, okay. Let me ask you guys another question. How, what are your fears? What are your fears in life? What hinders you from just giving God all of who you are? Comfort. Comfort? Yeah, what are your fears? You ever think about that? Like, what makes me say, Lord, I... Man, I know I want to be like this. I want to be like this, but man, there's this thing. People might think I'm weird. Who knows? I think it's a good question to ask yourself. What are your fears, my man? So deny your flesh and say, man, I, if I do what God wants me to do, then maybe I might not be enjoying it because I can know what my flesh wants. Yeah, right? Pain. Pain. Right? Someone was like, man, <laughs> that road, that road seems way harder. <laughs> right? Even though, man, it seems really clear. That road seems way harder. Right? Frank? Security. So we have comfort. We have flesh, pain, security. Right? Man, but, I, but this is way more comfortable. You know? Protection from loneliness. Oh. So rejection and, and loneliness, right? We all, we're all, aren't these, yeah, these are some things that matter to us, right? Hmm. One last question. You have to answer this, and just think about this. How serious is evangelism to you? How serious is evangelism to you? I mean, we know we're, we're good Christians, right? We know evangelism is important, Right? But man, how serious is evangelism to you? At what price? How tenacious? Look what the scriptures read in verse 27, guys. Remember, you put on your first century glasses. These guys have just, right, they've just been uh, freed by God's grace through the power of the Spirit. Here they are right now. They're preaching. The guys tell them, hey, come on back here. Um, We just told you not to preach. Right, I just put you in. Remember, they went to the. They weren't in federal prison. They were in a public prison. Right? Remember, it was with Debo and them. And then, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit frees them to go back to preach. They go in faithfulness. They're there. These guys come back and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" And um, verse twenty-seven reads, "And when they had brought them, they they set them before the council. So they bring them back in." And the high priest questioned them, the scriptures say. So, you know, we can look at it like, oh, you just questioned them. But uh, we know that it was probably a scalding. And look, if you notice, the influence is increasing. The influence of the people who are there is increasing. Because now you got basically the Senate, right? You got the high priest questioning these guys. I mean, you can't get bigger than this. This is how big this thing is getting. And he says in verse 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in the name. I love they say in this name. You notice they don't say Jesus. And I don't, you know, again, I mean, theologians have reasons behind that. But there's something about the fact of not even want to give credence to the fact of how powerful this person has become. So 
I charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so you got like two accusations uh, that, that has heaped upon the apostles. So keep in mind, they're being questioned again. They, they were in federal prison, basically in a nice place. Then they were in public prison, right? And now they're like, what's going to happen this time? So I want you to keep yourself, imagine you're one of these individuals and you're in this journey, right? And so there's two indictments, right? First, they obviously disobeyed because they clearly said, do not teach in this name again. And literally they go right back and do exactly what they were told uh, not to do. Uh, but for the record, where does that, that concept of you have filled Jerusalem? Where, have we heard anything about that before? Have we seen something like that in Acts? We see this in Acts chapter 1, right? What's the call? What's Acts, what, what are you called to do? Right, to preach the gospel, right? To Jerusalem, right? To, fill, to Samaria, to, uh, to the ends of the earth. And so basically, in a nutshell, you got um, part one done, and now they're going to basically probably go to the ends of the earth. But I love first, they, are, they disobeyed, so that's clear. But then he, they accuse him. They, they're kind of like, hey, would you please quit accusing us of killing Jesus? You notice that? It says, you keep, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You keep saying, like, we killed this guy. And it reminded me of in Matthew 27, I think we might have the text up here, uh, when it says, so when Pilate saw that uh, he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see it to yourself. And you remember the crowd was saying, it's okay, keep that on us, Right? Well, it's interesting now, it's almost like the, the apostles are saying, hey, you asked us to heap this on you. You said it would be okay to accuse you guys of murdering him. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're accusing you now, right? And, uh, and then he says in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And when I ask that question about evangelism, guys, I've been extremely convicted because I love the fact that what we're seeing a theme of persistence. We're seeing a theme of just a radical tenacity where these men are, are after ridicule or after being put in prison. They continue to go back and they're saying, hey, I'd rather, I rather obey God than man. And then he, and look at this. Notice this in verse 30. They actually get more intense. You notice that? So verse so basically before they were saying little things, but it gets more intense. Verse 30 says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree, hanging him on a tree. So notice the persistence, the tenacity, the courage. Remember before, they're saying the exact same things. They've mentioned this before earlier in Acts, but they keep accusing this guy. He says, why are you accusing us? And they keep accusing him. And look how they accuse him this time. They say, hey, now actually, it's not that you just killed Jesus, but he brings this concept of the tree up. Why do you think they do that? Did you guys research that at all? Why does he, what, what does it mean to talk about the tree, Anna? Right, right, absolutely. So, so basically, Anna said that when you talk about this concept of being hung on a tree, that Old Testament scriptures are saying that not only did you kill Jesus, you gave him the most disparaging, most embarrassing death that one could have, that he was cursed because of you. So my point here is the author wants you and I to see that here are these disciples 
who in a short time ago were denying Jesus, were hiding, were scared, had given up everything. It was like, okay, we, we're not going to identify with this man. And just that quick, they're filled with the spirit. And now you and I have witnessed over three accounts where they have stood before individuals proclaiming the gospel, healing people, and actually telling them what they've done to Jesus. Preaching a clear gospel. I mean, literally being on the offensive. How serious is evangelism to you? Peter says in verse 30, I love this sentence. He says, and they say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And he says, um, I said, Peter's response is like, yep, let me remind you um, that I'm not, I fear God more than man. And so I even, I even wrote in my notes, I was like, I wonder, and this is just me, this is not theology. Sometimes, I, I don't know if you do this, when I'm sharing my faith and I don't know what to say, I'll almost like, um, like, like not close my eyes, but I'll just kind of just want to be, I want to tell myself God's truth. And I wonder at some of these points, it was, was he trying to preach to these guys or was he kind of hyping himself up? That's just me. I'm like, I wonder, was he kind of like, yeah, you hung him on a tree. Yeah. I wonder if he was doing that. I don't know. But to, to kind of get the fervor to be able to be faithful with the gospel, that was just um, just my thing. Uh, but, but the scriptures go on to say, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So there's no excuse. They, they, had, they had no desire to let up. I want you to see the tenacity of the patriarchs of old. They say, you murdered him with your own hands. Instead of backing down, they get more aggressive in the scriptures, it seems. You, you chose to shame him. You chose to curse him. And it says, but this guy you curse, remember, and we see this over and over again. We've seen it in the beginning of Acts. We've seen it right now in chapter 5. This guy you curse, actually God has exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. And I love that word. If you have your Bibles, circle that, that word leader there. Because um, it's talking, it's a very interesting word. I, you know, when I do diff- different word studies, this is a word you might want might to remember because... Um, I think the, the word that's actually, when I was looking at my, my Greek Bible, is archegon, right? And, and it actually means like, um, uh, like a strong swimmer, okay? So it's interesting, it's just one of the, one of the few places where, uh, where this word is used in the scripture. And let me just give you uh, the, the etymology behind it. It was like whenever a ship got into trouble... Uh, this was the picture. His job, the guy who was on the ship, the guy, this archegon, he was a guy who was on the ship. His job was with a rope uh, to tie it around his waist, right, and, and dive in and to swim uh, to shore and then secure the rope. And then everybody else could actually go and grab the rope and actually make it to safety. So he was a guy who was supposed to risk his life. Uh, the, the arcade guy, he was a leader who was to risk his life and make sure that everyone else got the safety. And it seems that the word picture the author is trying to give us when he says like, that Jesus is the only one, as it were, who could actually get us, get, go to safety, tie a rope, as it were, to heaven, right? And allow us to be able to have connection to God. Reminded me of, of Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament. Um, it's a beautiful word picture of what, of what uh, Luke is trying to do when he's describing, I mean, I'm sorry, as Peter is sharing uh, the gospel, that Jesus is our, is our great archegon. So he's preaching the gospel, preaching the scriptures. In verse 32, it continues on. It says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
Now, very interesting here. I love this sense that we're talking right now about uh, these guys having the Holy Spirit. So now they can see God's truth. And I begin to think, so how do you translate that for you and me today, right in the 21st century? How do, how do we understand God's truth? How do we understand God's truth? I just wanted to pause here real quick. What's the difference between you and me now? I mean, you and us and them then. He says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I would say right now, uh, the difference is then God supernaturally empowered them. The scriptures had not been written yet. Uh, they were being tra- they were, they were, uh, basically talking to each other, and things were being passed down through oration. And the beauty of us right now is that the way we hear God mainly is through the Bible, Right? Is that the canon is not open. I just want to make sure we pause and, 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 and all the firmness. The canon has been closed. And so unlike what Joseph Smith would tell you in the Mormons and Jehovah's Witness in the Watchtower would tell you that, no, God is still speaking in all these different ways and doing these kind of things. I want to propose to you that he's still speaking, but he's not going to do anything that's going to be outside the context of his scriptures. So if you want to really be on a journey of understanding what God is saying to you, if you want to be on a journey of understanding and seeing God talk to you, I want to propose you do that by understanding the Bible. And I just pause to say that because left unto ourselves and our desire for spirituality, because that's our bent, we would love to worship and desire anything other than the true historical Jesus, even Christians, because it's because of our flesh, that I want to pause and say the way that you provide yourself with revelation of the knowledge of the Holy One is through the Bible. They only had a little bit. I mean, I just think about that. You think how spoiled we are. They had a little bit of revelation here, a little bit of revelation there. They had to live by faith here. I mean, things were just happening. The church was actually beginning during that time. And now we have this huge, established, beautiful revelatory aspect of God, his scriptures. I pray we'll be stewards of that. Remember those questions I asked? Because I'm sure these questions were being asked of these guys as they were going through this journey, what their fears were. What made them move forward like this? What made them have such tenacity? What made them be so serious about evangelism? What made them have evangelism be their whole life? Scriptures go on. It says, when they heard this, so here these guys, so he's preaching the gospel, right? We're hearing the gospel. He's like, Jesus is the great swimmer. He's the one who leads us. He, I mean, can you imagine this is, I mean, right before these guys, you think they was just calm down a little bit. No, he's the one. He's, he's the true savior. He's the king. They're like, oh my goodness. In verse 32, this says, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. Can you imagine? These are the Pharisees. Right? The, the scriptures, the word is used as uh, like cut to the heart. We've heard this in different uh, scripture passages. What, what got them to think like this, guys? What gets, a, what gets a, a religious person, right, who knows the Pentateuch, who's, who's the keeper of the law for Israel, what gets a person to the point where they say, we want to kill him? Which would have probably been stoning. <laughs> have you thought about that? What gets a person to this point? They probably would have sent him to Stony, but notice this. I love the historical reality. The reason why they probably didn't kill him right there, because they, they, they couldn't. They had to make sure they got a full vote before they could. So they had to go to the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and make sure they got a vote. And that's actually why they began to have this discussion that we're going to see in a moment. 
But I thought about it. I thought to myself, like, what would bring a person to the point where you want to murder someone? Where you get that frustrated? And I thought about conviction. Have you ever thought about, like, how conviction happens, guys? Where, where does conviction come from? You ever think, think about that? Where, is a, where, do you, where do you have your conviction? Where do you, where do you feel like God allows the Lord birth, birth conviction in you where you have a belief where you're like, I'll die on that hill? You think about that? A lot of times we believe, even as we sing, we think conviction is emotional. We think it starts emotionally, right? And so that's why we say, man, I was doing this and I got convicted, right? And we can almost talk about conviction being an emotional stimulus. I want to propose to you that true conviction always starts factual. It's always, conviction is always theological. And then it moves toward an emotional response. Now, I say that because when I look at this reality, I'm thinking like, here are these guys here. And all of a sudden, they have a deep belief. They have an intellectual belief. I don't think it's just emotional. I think they had a linear belief system where they thought, actually, two things. First, they were protecting Israel because they still didn't believe in Jesus. Right? So they had a huge lie. But also, I think there's an issue of power. They had, they had some kind of conviction where they felt like, oh, my goodness, you know, the jealousy and they wanted the power and they felt like the power was leaving them. And now the emotional response was, oh, we need to get rid of these guys. Martha? Absolutely. And, that's, and, and my point is, and so, uh, so Martha is saying, do we attribute that to God softening our hearts to actually build a conviction? And that's my point is that, is that if conviction is more first factual, then man, all the more important it is for us to understand who God is and what he says according to his word. Because if you don't, then you will begin to build your convictions on something. And then they lead to stupidity like this. Well, I just look at these reactions. I, I'm like, man, what made them do this? I just feel like it seems to me when evil people face godliness, and that's what they're doing over and over again, they get hostile. I think that's the reality. How many of us have done that? How many of us has got, have gotten mad at somebody just because they're godly? It is more godlier than you. Right? They would just talk about scripture all the time, right? They'll say things to you and you just thought, you, what you do? What do we do? What do we do when that happens? We attribute it to fakeness. You're just not being real, right? Because that's our scapegoat because we're not as spiritual as them. Really? Versus just saying, you know what? You're more spiritual than me. And I don't know your heart. And we become hostile. Am I the only one who go, man, why that brother always praying? She always trying to start a prayer movement, right? Man, I long for our body to be a body, man. Again, where we, we love the success of others. Where we're like, we long for people to be godly. And for those things to convict us, to say, man, I want to walk with the Lord and not be, not be um, insecure or threatened. I just felt like, I just think righteous people are frustrating, you know? And... And my prayer is for us that when people show spiritual maturity that we don't have, we won't have a problem with it. Right? So, 
All right, so they want to kill him. They're like, man, we're going to beat y'all down. But then in verse 34, he says, uh, but a Pharisee in the council named uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. Now, this guy was a, a Pharisee, okay, uh, which is very important in the story because the Sadducees controlled the Sanhedrin, but the Pharisees were very popular with the people. Okay, so they were kind of like the people's politic, politicians because they were seen as really holding fast uh, the law and, 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 and keeping the purity of Israel. Okay, and so, uh, so the way it worked out usually is kind of like... Uh, to get something done, the Sadducees had the power, but they would never really disagree many times with the Pharisees because the Sadducees really wanted the approval of the people. And the way they can get the approval of the people is by making sure they did what the Pharisees wanted. So really, in essence, the Pharisees had the power, right? And so they would acquire, they would talk about their demands, and, and then kind of the Sadducees would go look at what the people thought was best, and then they would acquiesce toward that end. Now, this guy... Um, uh, Gamaliel, he, he's like huge in the scriptures. I mean, you, if you look at like Josephus Antiquities or anything like that, if you want to do some light reading sometimes, you should check that out. And, um, and we had to read, we had to read uh, it in, in seminary. Um, and I'm telling you, this guy, um, he was uh, I mean, he's extremely popular. In fact, they, they talked about him when he died. Uh, they said they thought um, basically righteousness had died with him. I mean, he was like, yeah, he's one of the first, he was one of the first uh, Pharisees. So basically him and another guy during the intertestamental period are the ones who actually kind of rose up or I'm sorry, uh, his, his, uh, his teacher was one of the first Pharisees and then he was under his teacher. But at this stage, he was probably the most prominent teacher in all of, of of Jerusalem. Um, In fact, he didn't have the term uh, rabbi. It was like rabban. Um, and there was like only seven of them in all of, uh, of Jerusalem. So this guy was like big time. Now, what's interesting, where, do, where else do we see this guy? Do you remember? Saul. Go ahead, J.D. So this is the guy who trained Paul, right? Which hope, hope, helps you understand a little more when, you, when, when Paul started to talk about his pedigree, like he, he had some, he, he was legitimate. He was legit. When he talked about his pedigree, he knew what he was talking about because he knew who he was under. So this guy had great learning. I mean, he was, he was, he studied Greek literature. Uh, the other Pharisees, they couldn't even uh, compare to this guy. Well, this guy says, and he says, and he said to him in verse 35, uh, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. Um, now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to listen to the journey, and here's the question. Is this good theology or bad theology? That's the question. All right? You ready? Okay. So he starts off and says, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men, which is, which is God. Isn't that God's grace? Because guess what? What, what, you, what could have probably have happened if, if G-Money didn't step in? Huh? Yeah, they probably could have got stoned. Right, because this guy is super, it's interesting that the Holy Spirit allowed just not to be a Pharisee, but it was Gamaliel, right? Because it had to be somebody of influence because these other guys were upset. And they're like, you know what, we about, this brother about to get killed today. We're going to go in here, Sadducee is going to totally listen to us, all right, because we're going to tell him you need to do this. 
but God's grace, which I, which I love to see those kind of aspects where, where you're like, man, if the Lord would have done this, this, this huge thing could have probably have happened. Well, it says in the scriptures, uh, let me give a few examples. That's what he does uh, going into verse 36. This is, he says, for before these days, uh, you have Theodos, uh, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined them. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. All right, there's another guy in antiquities who had done some stuff. God totally, obviously, nothing happened. So he's like, you know, it wasn't of much. So he gives a story. Man, okay, this guy thought, he, thought this guy was something. didn't amount to much. Verse 37. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. Right? Now, now this is interesting because actually this is more for you history buffs. This guy actually did have people scatter, but it's not altogether true because actually from this guy, and when you read the same antiquities, you realize that this is where the zealots were birthed. And if you know about the zealots, they had actually a huge influence in the history of Israel. Because the zealots is one of the reasons why Rome was like, okay, we need to keep talking about what we can do here to make sure you guys don't wild out because y'all crazy. Okay? So... Uh, so, so there was, a, actually he had a huge influence, but, but maybe uh, not as much as he thought. Okay, so he says in verse 38, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Here's the conclusion. Because of those things, because we've seen some experiences where, man, if God's in it, it'll grow. If not, it'll dissipate. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Verse 39, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God, which you can circle fighting God, you know, being against God, depending on what your translation is. All right. Good theology or bad theology? The star is square one. What's the theological premise? If God's in it, it'll last. Any disagreements? I think it's fair for the sake of time. Matt, Matt what did JD, what JD say? Well, it's like God is sovereign. So okay. Okay. So, so God is sovereign. So you say, hey, he, there, is, there is some truth to the sovereignty of God. Okay. So, so the, the statement was, if God's in it, it'll last. Good theology or bad theology? Hey, because you know, you're gonna be, we're going to be neighboring. As we're neighboring, this might come up. All right? I say both. I think it's good and bad here. Right? You guys are like, man, you're always doing that trick question stuff. I know. I can't, you know, I, it's so funny. I'm such a hypocrite in that way because I don't like when people ask me those questions, but I'm the main one. Hey, I got a question for you. You know? So I need to, I don't know. All right. So first we see that, 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 that the reality is, when we think of the sovereignty of God, God is over all, right? And he needs no help from men to fulfill his purpose. I think, that's one of, I think that's his main point, is that if God is wanting to do something, like man will not be able to stop the hand of God. My, my, one of my favorite uh, verses that my sweetheart loves is that God's arm is not too short to save, the scriptures say. Is that there's nothing that can thwart the holiness of God. Um, but at the same time, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with what he's saying here, guys? Yeah, Sammy. If you're a follower of God, you're the one who's doing this purpose. 
Say it again. Yeah, okay, I didn't, I didn't, actually, that's a good one. I didn't think of that, that there's a sense of not just let go and let God. Like, okay, if God wants to do it, you can sit back and, and things will happen. So we know that's not the case because we understand God wants us to also work. That's a good word. I wasn't even thinking on that level. Thank you for that. So there's a sense of the sovereignty and man's responsibility as we come together, bring God glory. Martha? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So there's a timeline issue, and then I'm take one more. I'm take two more, and then we're going to go ahead and share. Kristen? Yes. Okay. Right. Absolutely. So, so I, I agree with you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna parse that out a little bit right out there. I right hear from Justin here. Amen. Give me an example. Lots of bad things that go on for a long time. All right. How many Hindus do we have in the world? How many? How many? How many? Yeah, how many Muslims? Do we have in the world? Millions. Hundreds of millions. Right? Uh, we had prairie quests. There's things that have been thriving for thousands and thousands of years that totally defame the name of God. So in a sense, uh, when we think of the new creation, all things eventually will work out. Timeline. But that's a long timeline. Right? So yeah, God, when he comes back uh, to basically take over then everything will work out. But the reality is, you know what? I think this, this, there's problems with this because the reality is, you know what? There's sometimes God uh, is not in something uh, and it actually is prospering, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think there's some good and bad in here. I think uh, they're wanting to see if it's from God, but I think this is a bad principle to say, I'm going to see if it's from God, so therefore I'm going to do this. But praise the Lord, his sovereignty. It worked to save these guys' lives, right? Praise the Lord. So that's how, that's how good God is. Um, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 12, 30, he that is not with me is what it says is, is against me. Uh, and the reality is uh, what we're seeing here is he's talking about this reality that, man, men, men fight God. And I thought, man, fighting God, fighting God, huh? Fighting God. Keep that in your minds. Let's continue to go on. It took his advice, right? Um, it says in verse 40, And when they had called in the apostles, uh, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I think that is this, one of the most streets um, passages in all the Bible. It's, it, so can you imagine? So they're talking about if this is from God or not, okay? And they're like, hey, see if this is from God. We're going to chill. And it's almost like they come in and it just can help. But still, it's like, I mean, I mean, obviously it was more formal because these guys are very religious, but it's like the dude walking by and you're just like, man, you know, he's kind of popping the back of the head while he's walking. It's like, I thought, I thought you were freeing me. What's up with that? But, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty more formal than that. And uh, in Deuteronomy 25, when it talks about these beatings, it wasn't kind of like the spankings like you and I think about, you know, like you just kind of impromptu grab a belt or something and you spank a kid. And it's not, it, it was very formal and it was, it was very gruesome. Uh, so when these guys got beat, I want you to understand, it was the one where you talk about in uh, Deuteronomy 25. You can write that on your address, uh, verses 1 through 3. It was a sense of like those 39 stripes. Now, maybe they might have done less than 39, but it was very intense. Uh, and they beat all uh, the apostles, right? 
And they would usually like give them like a third on their front and a third on their back or something like that. Um, he says, uh, ends in saying, verse, verse 41. Um, I'm sorry, I want to I I move back a little bit. This whole concept of, of something uh, being from God. Uh, you know, D.L. Moody talking about fighting against God and, and, and knowing that how intense uh, evangelism is. Have you guys heard the story of, I didn't know this, of D.L. Moody and, and when God, it seems like when he, God had really given him great power to preach and what happened like with the church burning down. This was a very humbling uh, scenario. I was just reading about this, uh, and it was, it was coming from basically this concept of, like, man, not knowing, like, the urgency of the gospel and the urgency of evangelism. Basically, he's preaching the gospel to his church, and um, I don't want get, get to get it totally wrong, totally wrong, but he wanted to wait um, and see, like, where people were, and so he didn't really give a gospel charge. And uh, it says uh, later that evening, uh, the church burned down, and many of his believe, many of the people in the church died, that were there. And uh, he says that at that point, um, he said, "Man, I will, uh, I will never uh, wait for a good outcome to preach the gospel." And so, because he thought, "Man, you know, this is probably not the right time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause. I gave some good truth." And it says from that point on, when he realized, "Man, this is urgent. I need to be proclaiming the gospel each time," because he felt like all these people died, and man, he didn't really give them an opportunity to to hear clearly the gospel. I thought it was really humbling. Um, let me ask you a question: As you look at this, and you look at these guys, they're saying, "Man, you might be actually fighting against God." And I thought, "Man, have I? When have I fought against God?" Do I find myself fighting against God? What would that look like practically in your life? You might even be found opposing God, verse 39. What does that look like practically? Opposing the Lord. Evangelism. Acts of service in the body. A job you're going, you're trying to pursue. But my man said, for fleshly gain. Have you thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that you could actually be fighting against God? Isn't that scary? A weird thought. Well, he goes on and says, man, in verse 41, uh, they left the presence after being uh, beaten and told, do not speak in the name of, of Jesus, and he let them go. It says, then they left the presence of the council. No, no, look at this, guys. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And verse 42 blows me away. So they, they're excited. They're, they're like, man, this is awesome. We suffered for the name. Where have we seen that? Colossians. Remember we talked about that? I did a whole sermon on that. Suffering and carrying the cross, of, uh, the cross of Christ. But look what it says in verse 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I love this. Notice it. I love that the concept is like they taught big places and then it says house to house. They're going to small groups and stuff. And I mean, this, they, it seems like necessarily it wasn't even like they, they just did the same, but they had a bigger intensity. You never see it described like this before. The question I have before you guys is how serious is evangelism to you? I began to ask myself, what questions, man, did they have to be asking themselves to move with such passion? And I know I had 
uh, I have some questions up here for you. Uh, and I had, I wanted to put fears actually lower because I think first the question is, what more evidence do we need? And what I mean, what I mean by that, if you notice in the passage, um, this blows me away. So Gamaliel, his whole point was, hey guys, let's wait and see. Wait and see what? You just saw a lame dude get up and walk. You saw individuals being healed to the point where they were looking for Peter's shadow, right? You're seeing thousands of Christians become, people become Christians. And the, and the, and the framework was, hey, we don't know if this is from God yet. So you're being a little too rash. Let's wait and see if this is really from God. Can you imagine that? So the question I asked myself is, man, what more evidence did they really need? What would make them go, oh, yeah, this, this is from God. And then I began to ask myself, man, what more evidence do we need? What more evidence do we need? What are we waiting for? What do you need before you and I can give over that one area, those two areas, those areas that we talked about and say, here you go, Lord. No more am I going to be defined by money. No more am I going to be defined by my parents. No more am I going to focus on just getting the best education and getting these things. But I'm really going to ask, Holy Spirit, whatever you want me to do for Jesus, I'm willing to do. What more? What more do we need before we start really going there? Are you already doing that? I praise the Lord if you're already doing that. But if you're not, ask yourself, what more do you need? What else? What else does God have to show you? What are your fears? I think that those are kind of cousins, right? What are your fears? What made these guys go and proclaim the gospel like they did? I wonder why they were proclaiming, what were their fears? You ever ask yourself, what are your fears? To be in our community, what scares you? What makes you kind of paralyzed? And are you, you find yourself, when you think of those questions, are you fighting for or against God? It's a humbling thought, man. Am I fighting for God or am I fighting against God? No, take, take, take the mad groups out of the picture. Take you discipling people out of the picture. Take your, your quiet towns out of the picture. And actually really think about your life, what you do, what you do daily. Are you really fighting for God or do you find yourself fighting against God? Take all the trimmings away and just think about what you do in your life and your heart. Man, I pray. I pray the Lord would give us the grace to, to have a posture, to have a life where it's like, wow. At the end of the day, with all his brokenness, he's fighting for God. He's given his life as a drink offering. I'm begging this family, let's not settle for cars and approval. Let's not settle for those things that are so attractive, that feeds my flesh so much. But at the end of the day, what is it worth? These guys gave their life to evangelism, and I had to ask why. Why? Why was every aspect of their life evangelism? 
Think about it. Bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, would you give us wisdom on how to see those questions for what they are? And Lord, I just pray you'll be doing a work in my soul and soul of the people of God here. And and Lord, we wouldn't just go away and say, yep. But Lord, we would pause and ask you to do surgery and say, man, Lord, what more am I asking for from Jesus before I am able to lay down my plastic pearl and pick up true treasures? Give us grace to do that, Lord. If it's our kids, if it's our resources, if it's our comfort, if it's just we're just finding ourselves, we're just really so carnal and fleshly that we don't even know what it is. We're so selfish, we don't even know what it is. I pray you just do a work in us even in there and say, Lord, you just revealed to me that I really love sinning. I love me more than I love you. And we pray you would give us that grace to acknowledge all those things. If it's idol worship of another spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, or Lord, would you just give us the grace to say, Lord, give me wisdom to cast these idols down that I don't end up being 70 years old realizing, man, I really wasted my life. Lord, I pray for that. Lord, would you give us that grace to have the passion for evangelism, to let people know who Christ is like the apostles of old. In Christ's name, amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, here's what we're going to do, guys. We are going to do a time of, of, of tithe. If you are new to Mac Ave,